It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to the Be the People show. Today, we're going to be talking about the coronavirus, as well as updating ourselves with Diane Black, who was the former chair of the House Budget Committee. And she worked to draft the 2018 fiscal year budget that cut millions of dollars in wasteful spending. And a lot of people may not know, but Diane Black was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, She is a child of the Great Depression as far as her parents. And she spent the earliest years of her life in public housing and she became the first person in her family to go to college. She's had the experience of being a single mother, of struggling to make ends meet, and she has over 40 years of experience working in the healthcare field. So she's really someone that can talk with us today about the coronavirus and how we can protect ourselves. She's also, since leaving Congress, been involved with the Susan B. Anthony list. She was an early champion of the right to life for the unborn. And she has a passion for children, for young people, as well as for single mothers and teenagers being confronted with choices and decisions about sex in a society that we know really tries to sexualize our children. So help me to welcome Diane Black to the Be The People show. I thank you, Carol, and thank you so much for having me on today. You know, I almost wish that you would have just paralleled many of the things that we have in common about our earlier years and how that we can use that for encouragement to young people who might be in those situations where they think they're at a dead end. And actually, I think these are um, attributes that we have that come from the struggle and the persistence that we were going to survive and not only survive, but be accomplished people. So um, I really admire the kinds of struggles that you came through in your life as well. And, you know, it's really true that it's all about your attitude. Uh, It determines more about whether you're going to be, whether you're going to be successful than where you're born Uh, your income, the education of your parents, because you can be born in wealth and still, uh, if you had the wrong attitude, you can squander it all. A person born in poverty that's a hard worker, uh, we know people of faith can overcome uh, all kinds of obstacles that other people would see as impossible. They have a way of making things happen. Yes, you make me think of my daddy who is now deceased that died at the age of 92 who had a sixth grade education and uh, went on to be an electrician and have uh, a, a, a life, uh, a work life that was not necessarily um, one of great wealth, but he did well enough to raise us as children. And whenever I would say, oh, daddy, I can't do it, I can't do it, he would just remind me, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And so that was the inspiration of my life as my dad who said, are you a quitter? 
And even today, somebody says to me, are you a quitter? It just makes me mad. It makes me want to do it even more. Well, Diane, I just regret that. I know that you're taking time to spend with your family and you've worked so hard over the last 40 plus years, but we really need your voice more in public life. So I hope that we hear more from you over the next um, few years. Well, thank you, Carolyn. I really feel very committed to having a voice for the unborn, as you know, and as you already said, I graduated from nursing school back in 1971 and Roe v. Wade was decided in 72. And from that day forward, I, I just knew that I had to fight for those little ones that when I was working at the hospital, um, seeing parents that struggled with babies that were deformed or couldn't um, make it in life just breaks my heart to think that we would take away an opportunity for a child to be the fullest that they could be a gift from God. And so that is, uh, as you have already said, one of the areas that I'm spending my time on with Susan B. Anthony List and how we are fighting to make sure that we can reverse Roe v. Wade or at least weaken it as much as possible so that every um, baby will have an opportunity to grow to be the fullest that God has meant them to be. We know that God says in Isaiah that he knew us before he placed us in the womb. He knows every hair on our head. And to think we would take away God's creation just breaks my heart. I know. And I think that we can be encouraged today because we've made so much progress on that front. I believe that the latest polling shows that a majority of Americans are against abortion. They're not um, pro-abortion the way they were some decades ago. You are so right. And you know, when that decision was made back at the time of Roe v. Wade, we really didn't have the science to say when a life actually began. Now with all of our science and technology that we have, we know that life does begin at conception. And so it's a whole new world and a whole new way of looking at when life really begins. I had an opportunity to meet a little boy that was born at 19 weeks. His parents put a little uh, bag of M&Ms beside him to show the relationship of how big he was so people would really understand. And uh, when I met him, he was six years old and Matthew was just as lively as any little six-year-old that had been born in 40 weeks. And so um, we show and know that, and yet we have people that believe that we should take away a life even after nine months and when it's after it's born, um, infanticide. And it just really bothers me that that is where our society is going. But I am hopeful. I'm hopeful as you are, Carol, that we will see as more knowledge is given, especially to the younger generation, they seem to be more pro-life than any other generation that I've seen. And so I'm excited about that. I, I think so too. And I believe that um, the push to, to have the waiting periods, the informed consents, that that's so important. And it's important because of the research that has been suppressed over the decades showing that there is a correlation between abortion in some women and breast cancer. And the doctors that have spoken out to the detriment of their careers are, are professors from the Ivy League schools as well as University of Michigan and places like that. To me, that's um, totally irresponsible that we would not have informed consent for the women who do choose to get abortions or they're considering an abortion. Anytime that we can tell the truth to women, 
that is really what makes a difference. You, I, I'm sure you saw in the movie on plan that the young woman in there that tells a true story that worked at Planned Parenthood for years and years, believing that it was okay. She was at the front desk and it wasn't until she actually was called into a room where there was an emergency and they were losing a young girl's life that she actually saw what happens during the time of the destruction of a newborn. Uh, of a of a fetus, and I, I call them a child. They're not a fetus. They're a child right from the very beginning. If we leave them alone, they'll grow uh, into a full a full growth human being. But you know, it was then that she changed her mind because she actually saw what what happened in this horribly um, barbaric way of killing life, and it changed her whole life. And so I know it sounds so gross when we say. Here, take a picture of what actually happens to see what trauma there is to this um, fetus in the womb of actually knowing and understanding that fear is there and that they try to move away. So that I hope that people will take a look at that film to know what the tragedy is of taking a life. And I know that uh, a lot of women who have had abortions a few years ago, I looked at the data and it said something like 40% of American women had had an abortion at some point in their lives. And this included women in the church. And in my book, Be the People, I share about my own abortion that I had in the early 1970s. At that time, I didn't have any education, but I naively believe that if the government allowed it, if it was a, if it was legal, that it must be okay. And I was one of those women who regretted the abortion immediately, and I kept it a secret for more than um, 30 years. And eventually, uh, in the early 2000s, I shared it with my two sons. Uh, after that, I shared it with other people, and I eventually wrote an article about it. And now, you know, I share it with the world. And as a Christian, I don't uh, live my life in guilt and regret because I believe that the shed blood of Jesus covers my past, present, and future sins. And so I don't call myself post-abortive. I just see myself as a sinner that's saved by the grace of God. Oh, you said that so well, Carol. That, um, that should be recorded and just put out everywhere for young women to hear what you have to say. And you're so right. There are so many women who have not come to that point where you have, where they know that they are forgiven and they have forgiven themselves. And so we see women who post-abortion do go through a lot of really difficult things with depression and alcoholism and all kinds of um, destructive behavior until they do face what was something that they did many years ago and know that God does forgive them and love them. And to know that it's someday when they go to heaven, they will meet that child. Such a beautiful story. Such a beautiful end to a tragic situation, isn't it? Yes. And we're going to take a break. And when we return, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, your years in the healthcare field and what you can tell us about uh, the coronavirus. Each week, the Be The People Show presents interviews with insightful guests from the world of politics, religion, media, and culture. The Be The People Show is on podcast. It offers bonus footage. To listen to Be The People online, 
go to the BeThePeopleNews.com website and subscribe to the Be The People podcast, heard also on the America Out Loud Network. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. As we celebrate our four-year anniversary, thank you for making it all possible. Well, should it news deliver truth and inspire us to reach higher? With blogs, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We are the vision of the voices, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm back with my guest, Diane Black, and she was the former chair of the House Budget Committee, and she was there in 2018 when the fiscal year budget was drafted. (laughs) Diane, I'd like for you to share with us your views about the coronavirus, and do you agree with um, how it's being handled right now? What advice would you give people that are listening that are concerned about going outside and contracting the disease? Well, Carol, I will tell you that I think that we have gone a little over the top with this. I do admire the president and all of the staff that is up there in the president's office that's giving him advice on what should be done. Uh, Unfortunately, I think we have turned into panic mode. Now, we have had viruses around for a long time, and I know that people will say this isn't like the ordinary flu. Well, I can point over my last 40 years to other kinds of viruses that we had the same kind of... um, just panic, maybe not quite to this extent, though, where it has really upended society. I mean, the markets have fallen to the lowest, I think, that they've been since the markets ever opened. Um, We see uh, parents who are having a hard time finding places for their children where they're still required to work, such as the healthcare workers. So it's created complete havoc. But if we will just get a handle on understanding viruses of the past, this one may look a little different. It may affect people a little differently. Perhaps the incubation period is a little different, but essentially it's the same as far as the rules that you follow. Washing your hands, don't touch your face. When you blow your nose, take that Kleenex, throw it in the trash can, wash your hands. Don't put your fingers in your mouth. Be careful when you're out and about as far as touching things and limit the amount of activity that you would have in public places. So all of those are rules that we have with any virus, whether it's a cold virus or whether it's a flu virus. And I I just think that we have gone over the top and almost become um, panic stricken now. I know my daughter's friends are are calling her and saying they're not going to, they're locking their children in the house and they're not going to go out for a month. These are all things that are really panic mode. So we just have to get a handle on it. Well, you know, I believe that it's the panic that's being driven by the media, that it's politically motivated because some people have been very open about a desire to wreck the Trump economy. They believe that if they can wreck the economy, he'll be defeated in November. And I believe that that is behind a lot of the hype. I agree with you that that is the part of this. And they'd like to see the whole society get panicked. And here's the the conundrum here is if the president doesn't take it to the fullest extent, and let's say we do have an epidemic, which 
would happen probably even if we didn't do all the things that we're doing, not to the extent that they might happen if you weren't making people aware. So on one side, he has to react that way. On the other side, you know, if he's saying, well, I'm, I'm not doing all this because of the market, then he's seen as cruel and not being somebody that's compassionate. So I understand why the president and this administration, I know they have a heart for people. I know they want to be sure that our country is kept as safe as it can. But I want the everyday citizen to think about their walk of life and where they are and how they can protect themselves at the same time, not getting into this panic mode where you isolate your family and yourself and you, you clean out every grocery store and we become a nation of just panic stricken. You know, Roosevelt said the only fear you have to fear is fear itself. And that's kind of where we are right now is remembering to, that we don't need to get to a point where panic. Let's follow good principles. Well, the one thing, too, is that the number of deaths worldwide doesn't warrant, in my mind, the reaction that we have as far as shutting down businesses. Just worldwide, it seems to be that there's groupthink and there are people that are manipulating the information that comes out of countries like China to their own political ends. I don't disagree with you, Carol. And I think, again, there's common sense. For instance, my mother's 95 years old. She lives alone, but she loves to play bingo. And I said, mother, you cannot go to bingo on Tuesday. You have to stay at home because you are immunocompromised just because of your age, not that you're unhealthy. But if you did get contact, then it's going to affect you much differently than it is myself or even my children who are in their 40s. So using common sense, and you're right, Carol, when we look at the number of deaths, they've all been on the side of people who are 60 and older. This is a really strange virus in that we don't see it affecting even the younger people, but we do have to be cautious and we have to use those good principles that I've already stated. But I mean, if the flu killed over 30,000 <laughs> Americans last year, that's right. we are not approaching anything near that. And it seems to me that Ebola was a pretty scary disease. Yes. And yet we did nothing like the response that we see today. Absolutely. And again, you look at what the statistics are right now. We don't know completely about this virus. It has to be studied a little bit. For how long is it still um, alive when you sneeze on something? Um, what is the incubation period? Because you know what? You could be walking around with having any idea that you have been infected by it because the incubation period, my understanding is right now, they say four days. So you wouldn't even have symptoms. You wouldn't be symptomatic for four days. How do you even know whether to isolate yourself? So when you do get sick, isolate yourself. Take the good, um, the things that you know you need to do when you have a virus, plenty of fluids, uh, treat the, the symptoms and the, the, the temperature and the cough and so on. And then only if you're not finding yourself getting better each day and getting worse, do you seek to go to the hospital because there's really not much you can do. You treat the symptoms just like you do the flu right now. You just treat the symptoms. And unless you get to the point where those symptoms have become too much for you to treat at home, should you even go to the doctor? Now, what's interesting to me is that uh, the churches. Uh, most of them closed down. And throughout history, the churches have gone into places where there were plagues and they ministered to the people and they really put their faith in God. And you look at people like Mother Teresa, 
like she yeah. went to the sickest of the sick. I wonder if the decision of so many churches to close does 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 that bode ill for Christianity? What are we saying to the world? Because we used to be the people that were out there that ministered to the worst of the worst because we had a faith that God would protect us. Yes, that's true. And our church met this past Sunday for our regular church services. And um, it was just really interesting to see that we had people from other churches in our own community that had closed down and that came to our church because they had a desire to worship. Um, our church now is doing online worship, but we also have a daily prayer at 8 a.m. where we share uh, folks who have a need, whether they have been diagnosed or undiagnosed and not feeling well, and we share that and pray over them, and then we minister to them. If someone um, has gotten sick and they don't have someone there to bring them food and so on, that we will be the ones to do that. We will come and gather around them. So I think it is the best thing that we can do without having the doors open every day, but still ministering. And so I, as a nurse, um, I want to go out and help those. I'm, I'm not afraid to be a part of ministering to those that are sick. And God bless those people in the healthcare workers that are doing that right now. Well, do you believe that most healthcare workers are showing up for their jobs or is this uh, a time with all the warnings and fears that people have that you would expect a lot of people to leave the occupation and create more shortages because there are fewer people showing up for work? Yeah, I believe that at least from what I'm seeing in my community that we have healthcare workers who are going right back into the into the healthcare facilities and offering the services and doing whatever they can. Um, there are some non-emergency non uh, areas that maybe have closed down, like for instance, dentists, unless you have a toothache or probably not having their doors open for the regular cleanings and things of that sort, that you could delay until we get over this hump. But for the most part, emergency rooms and places like that, and kind of love those who are in the, um, in the elderly care centers and the nursing homes, the assistant living, because that's really where it is the most dangerous. And yet um, one of the things that we're praying for at our church is we have somebody that owns an assisted living facility and they have had one case and we are praying for God to protect them, um, to protect the workers and protect the workers that go home to their families. So being in prayer and in trust and knowing that God is still in charge um, is something we all have to do. We Christians have to spread that word. And I love the fact that our church comes together every morning at eight o'clock and, and does that prayer together. Now, what is your church? Community Church of Hendersonville, CCHville. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. we're going to take another break. And when we okay. return, I want to give you an opportunity to share any parting words that you have for our audience. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's word with miraculous results? There is such a book. Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a handbook that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, Diane Black. 
And so, Diane, I guess we can move away from the coronavirus and maybe uh, I'd like to get your insights about what Congress is doing right now. Well, I don't think Congress is doing a lot, unfortunately. And I think that part of this is because there just really is not a lot of coming together in Congress. I am happy that they were able to come to a consensus of the amount of money they would put for the emergency funds for this uh, virus. However, I am concerned that this will go over the wrong direction where we'll give money um, to people that don't necessarily need it and a trillion dollars, another trillion dollars in debt. And as you said, as the chairman of the budget committee and knowing what kind of debt we're already in, I, I hope that, that they will be very cautious about handing those dollars out and make sure they go to the people that are the truly neediest of the needy. Other than that, unfortunately, I think that we're really in a kind of pause button with Congress. Um, Nancy Pelosi uh, just will not work with this president. I do, again, I give them all credit for coming together on finding an, a dollar amount for this special emergency money. But other than that, Carol, it breaks my heart that we're not really doing a lot moving the country forward and working together in Congress. And uh, unfortunately, I think that is because Nancy Pelosi just sees this as an opportunity to be able to um, say that the president is not successful and will require then that he will have to do things by executive order rather than the Congress being involved in it. And you and I know that executive orders are not the best way to run this country. Congress has a role there. That's the reason why we have an executive branch and a legislative branch. So I hope that we'll see this election bring back President Trump. I have confidence that it will. He's running the country well. And I think once all of this gets settled, we'll see the stock markets come back and the American people will honor him, both for the economy and how he's handled, handled the situation. Well, he certainly seems to be uh, the right leader for our times. And when we look at the choices the Democratic Party has offered America, none of them are people that I have confidence in. And I believe that most Americans have watched them on the debate stage and they can compare them to President Trump. And they see that there's a stark difference between pandering and leadership. Oh, my goodness, you are so right. And if you go back and as has been done on so many of these commercials, go back and look at what um, Biden has said in the past and what he says now, there certainly is a conflict in the two. And it's not just one or two things, it's many, many, many things. And so um, I believe that Biden is going to be the candidate unless something happens at their convention, but it appears that way at this point in time. And it really does worry me about the possibility of having him as the president because I don't think he has the capability, honestly, of being the president of the United States. Uh, and I say that publicly. I think that he um, has had his time to serve and seeing what we have seen on the campaign trail does not give me confidence that he could lead a country. And through something like this, I'm not sure that he would um, be able to do it. Maybe he'd have good advisors around him, but I just don't have the confidence. I don't think I so. I think the Democratic Party has given never. itself over to special interest groups to the point that they would never have stopped the flights from China or closed off the borders. Excellent and so, point. Yeah, they're not really dedicated to America. They're dedicated to globalism. And I think that the spread of this disease gives us an opportunity to look at globalism afresh. And it's uh, not something that should replace national sovereignty. 
that is an excellent point, Carolyn. It's one that I think we could spend a whole nother podcast in talking about what happens when you go into this uh, globalist thought. And we certainly see this strong president um, saying to China, no, we're not going to put up with your trade uh, deals any longer. We are a sovereign nation, a nation that is doing very well economically, and we're going to change the, the, the way in which we have operated with you in the past and putting his foot down. And so these are good for the United States. And I do think the economy will come back right away once we get a handle on this and the panic goes away. I think you'll see the stock markets really um, just start to come back every day. Uh, because I they hope so. Confidence. You know, they I believe confidence. it's a president that can get things done. I believe uh, when the death toll isn't as great as people have um, predicted, that gradually people will have more confidence that, you know, that we are not going to all drop dead of coronavirus and life will begin to return to normal. But what has been done, I think, using the coronavirus scare is just a total, almost destruction of our society and our, our way of life. And it's so surprising that we have been able to withstand so much over the course of our history, and then we allow this to bring our economy and our nation to a, a screeching halt. Do you think that after this is over and we start evaluating it, that we'll see um, a real analysis here and say perhaps we should think about this and how we will react the next time that this does occur, if it does occur? And it will. I mean, it's a virus. It will mutate. We'll always have viruses with, we, with us. We always have. Well, you know, my best hope or my hope is that somehow out of this would, be, would come the revival that many of us, a national revival that many of us have prayed for, and that uh, people would reassess their priorities. Because if you are just focused on yourself in secularism, you have nowhere to go. And I think that that's part of the panic is that we have moved our confidence from God to man and what we can do and and what we can do, they tell us, is to stay home and don't talk to anyone and all of these predictions, and you can see the manipulation. If you look at the Democratic Party, they've never particularly cared about uh, the elderly, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they've never particularly cared about the elderly, and all of a sudden, there's this focus on the elderly, and I just think that we're being manipulated, and hopefully more people will be able to see through that. I agree with you 100% if people will just stop and use their own brains, <laughs> not but, listen to all that media hype. But Diane, I'd love to have you on the podcast again. And I hope that during your period where you're taking it a little bit slower, that you might think about writing a book or doing something that would share your wisdom to, the, to, the, to more of the world. Well, thank you for your encouragement, Carol. I'll take that seriously. And for the listeners, we've talked about a number of things this morning. And as always, I encourage you to remember the preamble of the Constitution. It's we the people. We the people must stand up and be the people who reclaim our nation and our world. Until next time.